So I, I don't know about you, but how many people here love to daydream? We have some daydreamers here. Yeah, I can get lost in daydreams. My general daydream uh, has to do with my retirement. Um, and here's how it goes. Um, I'm on a ranch that I own, and I'm in a hot tub that I own, and I'm looking good in the hot tub on, that I own on the ranch that I own. And it's kind of a funny little thing. Like, I would love for that to come true someday in my, my distant future. Um, and it's kind of shallow and, and funny. Uh, but when I think about it, when I think about that space, it's not all just uh, fun and, and, uh, and giggles. There's, it, it represents something much deeper to me. It, it does represent a dream, and a dream that I have to be out in open, wide spaces, to be sort of um, relaxed and uh, not cold. Um, <laughs> But, it, but when I really start picking that daydream apart, there's so much more involved with it. And things that I don't necessarily love to share in public. I mean, one of the things is this. It represents um, the fact that there have been people in my life who've looked at me and who have uh, walked near to me and have not believed in me. And they've said to me or acted as if the, the ways that I've gone about my life um, have been foolish. Like, you're never going to make it with that kind of dream, son. Or I don't believe in you enough to, to, to um, support you in that way. And when I sit in the hot tub at my ranch, I think sometimes that's vindictive. Like, look at me now, all you doubters. <laughs> that's not so happy. Or um, I think sometimes it's uh, a form of, of escapism. Like, there's so much pain in the world, and I would love someday to escape it all and get away from it all on some ranch where I, I'm so far away from the troubles of the world. And if I think about it, if I get to that point and haven't invested a, a, my, a ton of my life into um, serving others and to being with others who, are, uh, who have no potential to have a ranch and a hot tub someday, I will have done something wrong. And it represents comfort and pleasure and the things that I want uh, in, in a way that I would ignore the pain of the world. Well, if I dig deeper than that, I think, too, this is also about prestige. Like, if I were to have a ranch and have a hot tub and I'm 60 looking good, that means that I will have had the prestige and the place in life to have um, taken enough of other people's money to get there. Okay, and so uh, the point is this. Uh, we're on the place of Jesus' prayer, which is counterintuitive to us. And it's the place where he says, he teaches us to pray this prayer. Forgive me, Father. Forgive me. And we have to open up this topic of confession. What does it look like to be people who open our hearts to confessing our sins? And some people in here may have, you may have a dark, deep secret. And you may have done something awful. And, you, and no one in the world knows about it but you. And you kept it tight inside. Uh, some of you may have had some, done some awful stuff in your life that you can think of on a dime and, and it puts your heart into your throat and you think, how could I have done that? And how could I have been so wrong? But for most of the rest of us, we struggle to think of those things when it comes to confession. What do we confess? And as Christians, what we, what we believe is that anything less than perfect love in this world results in human slavery of some form. If, we're, if we do something out of selfish sin, it's going to enslave us, enslave others. And there are so many things deep down that we have need to repent for and to ask forgiveness for. 
Because anytime we sin, anytime we do something less than perfect love, we've hurt other people, and ultimately we've sinned against God. Okay? And so this morning as we, we dive into this, we're not just, Christians aren't, well, they shouldn't be people who just beat themselves down all the time. Um, the trick to this part of Jesus' prayer is learning to hate our sin without hating ourselves. So I'm going I'm to open that up for us this morning a little bit. Um, so Jesus, Jesus asks us to get to this place where we say, um, oh, where did I put it? He says, he says, forgive us our trespasses. But humans, here we go. This is the point of this slide. Humans, aren't we so good at finger pointing? We are so easy. Like we can see other people's sins so well. And we know them and we feel them and we can point them out. And we are so good at finger pointing. Um, and here's the thing. When, when we have an invitation in our life to open up the corners of our hearts to what's truly there, we resist it at all costs and convince ourselves that other people need this so much more. Uh, David in Psalm 36 says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. He's complaining about some people who are oppressing him. He says, in their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. And that can be us so often, can't it? We can flatter ourselves and convince ourselves that, um, that we're not guilty of, of wrongdoing or that we've loved imperfectly, and, um, and we can't even detect or hate our sin. And that's our hope, is to get to a place where we can detect and really hate the sin that is in us. Um, but here's the thing, I have to open this up right away before we get into this topic. There is a difference between shame and guilt. Uh, and the difference is this, shame always has a hiding dynamic. If we are ashamed of something, we're going to hide from it. We're, gonna, we're, we're not just going to hide it from other people. We're going to hide it from ourselves. right? We're going we're gonna to take the thing that we're ashamed of and we're going to put it inside. And what happens is we, we start going in a cycle. And we never learn from the mistakes we make. We, we say to ourselves, oh, well, um, I'm going to be blind to this thing that I keep doing. And, and I'm going to convince myself, okay, Let's say I, I commit a sin and I'm down on myself and I think, why, why would I do that? Like, I feel awful. Uh, I've hurt someone. I've hurt myself. Uh, uh, but the only way that I can get past this is to stop doing that long enough to feel good about myself again. And so we stop and we go two or three days or two or three weeks or two or three months and I, I didn't, I, 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 I've got a pretty clean record. I'm feeling good about myself. I'm hiding all of my small little sins away. And I'm feeling like, you know what, I've got this thing together. I'm okay, until we do it again. And then we're down in the dumps for another cycle. And that's the cycle of shame, and it always involves hiding from other people and ourselves. But guilt is different. Guilt is not like that. Guilt is our ability to own up in a self-aware way to one of our weaknesses and faults, and to learn from them, and to slowly grow out of them. And we don't hide them from ourselves, we own it. And we don't hide them from others. We are sort of uh, feel free to sort of laugh at it and uh, share it. And we don't hide it from God because really you can't hide anything from God, can you? Uh, and so there's two ways of being. And what Jesus is after, and what I think Christians can so oftentimes get wrong, is Jesus is after rescuing us from the cycles of shame and bringing us into a process where we can bring our guilt before God and understand his forgiveness for us. And it's not dependent upon our performance 
or success, but it's dependent on our inherent worth as his children. So we learn to hate our sin in guilt. You learn to hate your sin, but not hate yourself. That's where we're getting to today. Uh, so here, here's a great picture. Jesus gives us the story in order to help us get through this. Because this is a hard thing. It's not an easy thing for humans to do to make it from shame into guilt. And so he gives us the story of a, a prodigal, of a, a son or a daughter who's gone wayward and needs to, needs to um, come home to a father. And in, in this, uh, this story, this prodigal comes up against the father and says, I want all of your money. I want all of your inheritance. Give it to me. I wish you were dead. I'm off to go live on my own. And Jesus said this person took their inheritance and went to a foreign land and squandered it on pleasures and power until they were finally destitute and broken down and their only food was eating with pigs in a mud trough somewhere. And you you get this picture of a human at their lowest and they don't have any money left to perpetuate their feelings of self-worth. And so what they do is they think, I'll go home to my father and I'll come into his courts, into his home, and I'll be a servant. He'll at least accept me as a servant, if not a son. But I know that I'm dead to him. And how many of us can sometimes just feel dead to God in that way? So Jesus says this person came home, and instead of finding a father who was, his arms were crossed and ready to sort of be vindictive and punishing, this person met a father who saw them coming in a distance and came running after them with enough love. And instead of taking them on as a servant, they, he took them on again as a son and put his best ring and, filled the, and killed the fattened calf. And some of you may know how the story goes. He welcomed him home as a son. And this is Jesus trying to get us out of shame into the cycles of, of, of guilt that allow us to um, come into God's presence. Um, so forgive us our sins. Uh, it's another form of saying, save me from me, God. And the great thing about the life of prayer is that Jesus gives us a chance to enter into confession regularly. Every time we pray, he asks us to say, bring something about you that's not so great and cleanse that off of your mind and heart and give it over to the Father's love. Forgive us our sins, Jesus asks us to pray. Save me from me. It's like we're constantly on spiritual detox when on the life of prayer, of active prayer, um, is going. And here's the thing too, friends. Um, when we pray, and when we're praying prayers of confession, we're linking into the reality that Jesus is always with us and always wants the best for us and always wants human freedom above human slavery. And so he's going regularly to be working on the things that aren't so great. So rather than resisting him, rather than working on our own, in prayer we can come and join him in that work. And that's a mercy, a grace, a good thing that Jesus is doing for us and to us. Um, so save me from me. Well, let's look, turn into Psalm 32 today. We're in the Psalms, so might as well get to a good confession psalm. Uh, psalm 32 goes like this. It starts like this. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose, in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is the Psalm of David after he's confessed his sin. This is a, you know, blessed are those, it's kind of like Jesus saying, 
to those, blessed are the meek, or blessed. This is a, this is a person who is living within um, a, 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 with a clear conscience before God. They've been through the, shape, the shame cycle, hiding their sin, but now they're going to release themselves from that way of being and open their heart to God. And he's going to say, you know what, blessed are anyone who are, are doing that. And you don't get this in this particular psalm. It comes through some of the edges of, of the, 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 the poetry here. But you hear it in plenty of the other psalms. David is fully in the guilt cycle and freed from the shame cycle. Because in, in Psalm 41, for example, um, this is the same psalm. Heal me, God, for I have sinned. It's a great, it's a great prayer of repentance. But in, this, like in four verses later, he's like, but I know you are pleased with me, God. You hold, we hold the, in, the, in the guilt cycle, we can hold those things together. God, I have sinned deeply against you. I need, to, I need to offer this to you, but I know you are so pleased with me. And if we can hold those two feelings together, we're into the heart of, of Jesus' heart and we're into the experience of David here. Uh, he's sometimes afraid of God's wrath and discipline, but at the same time, he feels very safe with God. So back to the beginning here, Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them. Uh, so transgression here, it's a big word, but it's a way of saying, another way of saying sin. Um, and sin is always um, something like uh, a transgression. Like, um, like we owe God as human beings, the scriptures tell us, always to be people who love perfectly. That's what we owe God. But when we don't, we take something away from him. And we're always in this constant feeling of, of debt, like we, we owe something to God. And so those who, who and I don't know, some, some of you may just feel like this all the time or resist this feeling, like, oh man, I just feel so bad for, for who I am or what I've done. How could, how, how could I reconcile this with a God who wants me to love perfectly? But here's the thing about sin. In the Bible, sin, I mean, sins are the things that we do, right? The, the transgressions, the things that we do wrong. But if you take a full biblical reading of sin, sin is always something like a power, like something bigger than us, like a bad slave owner. Um, the powers of sin and death. Paul gets into this in his letters to Romans. And so when we sin as humans, we understand that our sin is always a sin uh, guilty by association. This power that is over us, that is trying to trick us into doing bad things, and we are like, um, oh, I can't resist that. And so when God sees sin, when he looks at sin, he's seeing through his eyes the powers which act like our puppeteers, causing us to do the things that we don't want to do, preventing us from doing the things that um, or preventing us from doing the things that we want to do and tempting us to do the things that we don't want to do. And when God's wrath is at his worst, I believe he's looking at those powers and saying, I hate human slavery. I, I hate when my people are less than free. And I'm going, to, I'm going my wrath is directed against them. But if we, if we are constantly guilty by association, I believe he's really frustrated with us. He's like, can you knock it free? Can you please stop doing that? Could you please stop harming this earth? One time I was praying and 
I had this sort of deep sense of God's wrath. And it was like aimed right at me, or so I felt. And I looked at him, and I realized, I looked into his eyes, and I, and I realized, oh, uh, he's not looking at me. He's looking right over my shoulder at something which is oppressing me. This is not to say that we're not guilty, because guilty by association is guilty. But wrath is directed at the powers of sin and death. Okay, so this is, this is how we work out God's tremendous love for us, and yet his wrath. And the scriptures say, Paul especially tells us, that we are caught in a state without Jesus as our Lord. It's like we are caught in a state where we can't help but do the bidding of the powers of sin and death. It's like there's a door, like I was praying, there's a door that we're trapped in that we can't get through. And Jesus comes in through his death and resurrection and shatters the bars and, and frees us out of that, that, that inability to do good and not sin and opens us up into a whole new family where we learn God's ways and we struggle. I don't know if you know anything about people who have been in jail or, or enslaved. Like they're constantly going back to the slavery. And that's, that's our sin, right? If we're freed in Jesus, if he's freed us from the, the, the powers of sin and death, uh, we constantly, on our own will, always regularly go back into that jail cell, even the doors, while the doors are broken in. But the difference now, friends, is this. In Christ, we can walk out anytime we want to do God's will, to live in his ways. And so at the end of time, um, the end of time, we imagine a great throne room scene and uh, the great day of judgment where, here's the thing, at the end of time, all of our sins and all of our wrongdoings are going to be exposed before all of creation. You're going to know all of my, all of the real stuff that ends up going on, you know, with Keith Jagger. And I'm going to know yours. And it's going to be exposed before my eyes. And God's going to, uh, and God's going to make everything right which was wrong. And the thing that's going to matter on that day is are we in a shame cycle who are going to try to still hide ourselves from God and prevent us from following him? Or are we going to be able to offer our guilt over to him and say, look, I, I can't get there without you, God. Um, but he, here's all my stuff. And he's going to say, that's what I've been after all this time anyway, is getting you to put down your defenses and to just be my children, imperfect as you are, but accept my love and accept my fatherhood. That's the great day. Um, and David is saying, blessed are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit there is no deceit. He's after us putting our defenses down so that our sins can't count against us. Okay, this is, I'm going over some major theological stuff here with you guys. Uh, if you have any questions about that, I'd love to sit down and go through Romans and read that all with you. But it's a great news for us um, because how often do we as human beings live in shame? How often do we try to hide from other people and, and hide from God? And he's like, there, humans can't live the very long in that way. If you have something big that you've done, you can't live very long by hiding that as a healthy human being. If, you, if, if there's patterns you're in, you can't go very long by hiding it. 
you need help. You need to expose it and let other people guide you through into a healthier way. Uh, and it's a great, a great freedom for a human to be able to release all of that over to God. And blessed are those, really blessed are those who've lived in this way. David continues in Psalm 32. When I kept silent though, when I hid my stuff, when I wouldn't give it over to you, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Give, give, give me your stuff, says God. Give it over. Your hand was heavy on me. But, you, but I wouldn't. I kept it to myself. I, I kept it like a secret of my own. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And he gives us this beautiful description of what it feels like to hold on to our stuff and to, to live in the cycles of shame. Um, my lips were closed. We, we can ignore our weakness, friends. But here's the thing. Don't we love being around people who can, are self-aware and can own their stuff? Like, they're like some of my favorite people to be around. Someone who's just very easily can be like, you know what, I'm, I'm really bad at that. Or, man, I've just, I've really struggled with this. Or, oh man, isn't that funny that sort of I, I can't quite get out of it. I love the people who are so self-aware of their stuff that they're never sort of in my face pointing their finger, but they're just sort of uh, being them. We love those people, I think. And the people whose defenses are up and they, nothing wrong with them and they've got all the right answers and wow, like, we don't really like being around those kind of people, do we? You know, like, this is the transition. Transition from shame to guilt. You know, I'm guilty, God, it's okay. I'm giving this over to you. Um, but there is truly a withering dynamic to hiding our sins. We wither away. We become less and less and less until we can give over the heaviness. And I believe that we can only experience God's love, like his fatherly, unimaginable love. We can only experience it in this posture. We cannot experience God's love if we're like this all the time, protecting ourselves and defending ourselves. At one place, um, David in his great psalm of confession, Psalm 51, it's like, wash me, Lord, wash me clean and I'll be whiter than snow. He's just so open to this hand of God in his life. And, um, here's the thing, though. Like, I'm talking sometimes about laughing at ourselves. Like We should be really troubled and by our sins. Like we should hate the things which enslave us and enslave others. But our posture should not be like this. Our posture should be open. I don't really know how to say that better right now. So I think you're getting the point. Um, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But, but then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You forgave me, God. And I was able to release all that I was holding. Here's the thing. If, we're, if we hear this kind of prayer in the paradigm of shame, I think what happens inside of us is something like a struggle to keep getting better. Like, you know what? I didn't get it right this time. Um, God forgave me. And now I'm going to set about fixing myself. And our whole energy and effort goes on our own self-achievement. Um, and that's, God's not after our perfection in that way. 
He's not after our perfection. He's after our humility and our, open, our opening um, of our hearts. A sacrifice of the Lord is a broken spirit and a contrite heart, Lord, you will not despise. So, so hear me, friends. Like There's a whole way of being here that I'm inviting us into um, that looks like confession. Now, the last thing I want to say with, with this before I move to the end here. Um, David doesn't say it in this psalm, but he does say it in another. He asks God to forgive him for the sinless ways or the sinful ways of his rebellious youth. And that's such a good prayer. My, My whole point in all of this is not to teach you about confession so you know it in your head, but to help you understand what it feels like to pray the prayers of confession out of the heart of Jesus. And one of the great prayers of confession is, save, save me from the sins of my youth and, and the, my rebellious ways. I pray this prayer all the time, <laughs> not because I lived such an a intense youth, youthful life. I didn't do like a tenth of what some of you have. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I did some, some things I'm very, I'm very sad about. Um, but this, this does sort of like, some of you may be haunted. Like you think back to something you did and you're like, I, I still can't think about that without shuddering. And you need to pray a prayer of confession. God save me from the sins of my youth. And it's that kind of internal bondage that you need to be free from. But on the other hand, some of you are still living the consequences of the sins of your youth. Maybe 30, 40 years later. Um, I'm living some consequences from the sins of my teenage years still. Um, I need to be free from them. But some of you have looked back at your youth and you made some mistakes and you think, God, I'm still paying for those. Can I finally be free from paying for those? Like um, sometimes I think if I would have just chosen another trajectory, I could, I could have... Um, I don't know, this is not going to make sense to you, but I could be writing more. That's, what, that's the connection in my mind. Like if I didn't do some sins, I could be more free to write and courageously put my heart out there. Um, and I'm like, God, could you just change that? Can you just like, like erase the effects of those sins? And can you, I just start over? And some of you have spent so much energy and time trying on your own to rectify those sins. Could you maybe just imagine yourself praying, God, can you give me a clean slate? Can you push a reset button in my life? That's a beautiful prayer of confession. Um, God, I just need to be free from the sins of my youth. And, and youth who are in here, be aware that, um, you know, live, live, your, live your youth. Be, be, be youth. Live your life. Have a good time. Learn all you can. Um, but be aware that some of the things that you're into now may have consequences for decades in the future. But ultimately we pray, God, create a clean heart in me. Um, free me from the things that enslave me. That's, that's the prayer of confession. And he finishes like this. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Do not be like the horse or the mule who have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. 
Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust him. So two things, we'll finish off with this. Um, confession prayers and confessing to others. Like, go to God today, right now, um, and say you're sorry for things that maybe you've never said sorry about. Or um, maybe today is a day for you to come up and take a piece of bread and dip in the juice as our remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And maybe it's a time for you to imagine um, the sins of your youth, uh, the things which bind you, and just as a symbol of taking him and realize that he's taking over um, the effects of that for you. That's, that's what this is about. That's what this is about, is our freedom. Um, or maybe it's, maybe it's a, a, a chance for you to, um, this week, go home and for the, for the first time, make a list of the things which you know you need to confess to God. Like the prayers of confession are so cleansing. And I would invite you into them. But also confessing to others. Um, God is a God of community. He's created community and relationship. And he will, he will live with us and forgive us of our private confessions, in our private confessions. But he will always, and I don't like this about him, but he will always then lead us on to tell others especially those who we've hurt. Look, like, I hurt you, and I don't love this about me, but this is what I've done. I'm sorry. And there's a great freedom in getting out the things which are withering your heart by keeping them to yourself. Um, or find a friend, someone you trust, and say, look, I've never told anyone about this, and I I'm probably afraid of losing you because, and see, that's how shame works, right? I'm going to hide something from the world because I'm afraid. But I'm going to come out of that cycle by telling you something I've never told anyone. Or look, I'm stuck in something and I just need, I need help. Uh, the, the true freedom, I think, the, the full freedom that is offered in Christ comes when we can confess to others like that. Uh, there's, there's power in it. Um, so you, you, you may not be ready to tell someone in your life that you've done something that you, you will, you've vowed never to tell them about. Um, but you may be able to find a friend who you can say, look, I, can, I need one person to be able to share this with. Um, and there's, you're, you're on your way uh, to freedom in that, in that way. The truth is, is that the, the world... I'll just finish off with that. The, the world is built around us on shame. It's built upon hiding. It's built upon sin and unconfessed sin. It's like um, we like to go around thinking the worst of others and we point our fingers and we don't do the, the hard internal work. Our whole world is built on that way. And, and everything around us would lead us to continue to live in that way. Uh, but Jesus' way out of that world and into the true world and the real world is through something like confession. It's through something like our putting our defenses down and taking up God's love in our hearts. That's how this world in Jesus' way is going to be changed. So I'm thinking, what would it look like for a small community of people to master, master this? 
and to be people who know how to live in guilt and in the love of God anyway, who can hate their sin and yet not hate themselves. Like, what kind of power would that community have to help reshape the one that we live in? I don't know. I think it could be great. I think it could be profound. So, uh, in all of this, friends, I'm not sure how God has been speaking to you particularly today. Uh, I know he has. Um, and I invite you to respond however you find appropriate. Um, we have a chance every week to remember what Jesus paid. Like we think sometimes of, of sin so lightly that we forget it cost someone their life. And so we come week in and week out and we remember just how much it cost God to save us and free us from the patterns of shame. And so whatever he's spoken to you, however you need to respond today, I invite you to use this chance in the next two songs to respond to God and to be courageous this week in the cleansing act of confession. Go do it. So it's a really great thing to do. So friends, the table is set, and everyone here is welcome. <laughs>